Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 480. I wish I could say I agonized before I decided to follow her, but I really didn't. The temptation of finally learning the identity of her patron was simply too strong. So I put up the hood of my cloak and began to ghost through the crowd behind Denna. It's remarkably easy if you have a little practice. I used to make a game of it in Tarbim, seeing how far I could follow someone without being seen. It helped that Denna wasn't a fool and stayed in the good parts of the city, where the streets were busy and in the dim light my cloak looked a nondescript black. I followed her for half an hour. We passed cart vendors selling chestnuts and greasy meat pies. Guards mingled with the crowd, and the streets were bright with scattered streetlights and lanterns hung outside the doors of inns. An occasional out-at-the-heels musician played with his hat in front of him, and once we passed a troop of mummers acting out a play in a small cobblestone square. Then Denna turned and left the better streets behind. Soon there were fewer lights and tipsy revelers. The musicians gave way to beggars who called out or clutched at your clothes as you walked by. Lamplight still poured through the windows of nearby pubs and inns, but the street was no longer bustling. People clustered in twos or threes, women wearing corsets and men with hard eyes. These streets weren't dangerous, strictly speaking, or rather, they were dangerous in a broken glass sort of way. Broken glass won't go out of its way to hurt you. You can even touch it if you're careful. Some streets are dangerous as frothing dogs, where no amount of care will keep you safe. I was beginning to get nervous when I saw Denna stop suddenly at the mouth of a shadowed alley. She craned her neck for a moment as if listening to something. Then, after peering into the dark, she darted inside. Was this where she was meeting her patron? Was she taking a shortcut to a different street? Or was she simply following her paranoid patron's instructions to make sure no one followed her? I began to curse under my breath. If I followed her into the alley and she saw me, it would be obvious I'd been trailing her. But if I didn't follow her, I'd lose her. And while this wasn't a truly dangerous part of the city, I didn't want to leave her walking alone so late at night. So I scanned the nearby buildings and spotted one fronted with crumbling fieldstone. After a quick glance around, I climbed the face of it quick as a squirrel, another useful skill from my misspent youth. Once I was on the roof, it was a simple matter to run over the tops of several other buildings, then slink into the shadow of a chimney before peering into the end of the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. And I get that Quoth is the narrator, and Quoth has to be a part of this conversation that doesn't involve him. But it does kind of suck that he has to commit this, like, breach of trust, which makes him not look so great in order to put him in a position where he can eavesdrop on this private conversation. I think it makes sense for his character, though, because... Foth is not always a great person and he is doing a thing that makes him not a great person, not necessarily for like the right or the wrong reasons. Cause like part of the reason he wants to do it is to like keep Dennis safe on the street. And like, that's noble, I guess. But also part of the reason he wants to do it is cause he's a giant Snoopy snob guy and he wants to delve into the deep, dark secrets that she doesn't want to tell him. And that's none of his business and he shouldn't be doing that. But also it makes perfect sense for his character. Yeah, because he always wants to get into business that's not his business. Yes, and he also wants to protect Denna. And I mean, it's not like he's protecting her every second of her life. It's not like 
she doesn't walk in streets like this on her own all the time. And I think on the next page, Quoth learns that lesson rather clearly. But it's just, it's a big eye roll for me for him to be like, I don't want to leave her alone in this slightly, this middle tier dangerous, this B tier danger street. Uh, so I'm going to keep on following her. He's doing a lot of rationalization. Yeah, I think that he realizes that he's rationalizing though. Like he he's already saying things that like make it seem as though he is aware that what he's doing is not the rightest, most good thing, but he feels the need to do it and therefore he is rationalizing it. I don't think he's blind to that. Yeah, I would peg this as another one of those moments where narrator quoth frames things in a way that make him look better when objectively it doesn't look like a very good thing to be doing. Yeah, and I think that we are meant to kind of, we are meant to understand that this is Quoth being somewhat overprotective and rationalizing. You know, like, I don't think that we are meant to take him at his word that what he's doing is, is like, you know, good and correct and there's nothing wrong with it. I don't mind the way that the callbacks to his skills are done. I don't believe we ever got an explicit account of him like practicing following people or practicing climbing. But because we have a pretty good sense of what his life was like, this isn't a detail that seems out of place or like something that that uh, that would bother me. I've said before that I am often bothered in books when they introduce a new skill or a new happening, a retcon, if you will, in order to justify something that's happening now. I like when things are seated. So the perfect version of this for me would be a scene where Quoth practices a book ago, and then we get a callback to that scene. But this doesn't, I'm not bothered by this because we have a pretty good sense of what his life was like there. So this doesn't seem out of place to me. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't feel like it's weird. I think that we can just take it as understood that in Quoth's three years in Tarbin, he like, picked up five or six levels of rogue, which entailed him being able to tail people, climb buildings, pick people's pockets, all that good stuff. All of those kinds of skills fall under, to me, like the set of skills that he had to learn to survive in Tarbine. Absolutely. I believe we did a Patreon episode where we laid out what Quoth's uh, levels are and where he picked them up. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I urge you to donate a dollar or more per month so you can get access to our back catalog and uh, dig through the many, many months of free content, or I guess not free, many, many months of archive content in the Patreon <laughs> in order to listen to that wonderful episode. And you too can learn where and when Quoth picked up his levels of Rogue. That's right. I also appreciate that this this gives us probably the most detailed description of like the day-to-day hustle and bustle street life of this city that we've had, what life is like in kind of like the nicer parts of town and how the tenor of it starts to change as you get into the less savory parts of town. And that feels very authentic to me. You get an idea of who the players are too, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it it doesn't immediately turn into like a urine soaked hellhole, but it's just like people are a little less friendly. There's like, obviously people are like, not partying on the street quite as much or if they are it's like a couple of people hanging out on their stoop and like there's obviously some like sex workers and their pimps like hanging out waiting for people so the way that they the the way that rothfuss is showing that in the book is he's saying there's women in corsets and men with hard eyes and by saying that like by implying that the women with corsets and the men with hard eyes are are like what did you say pimps and sex workers okay um 
Like, to, to say that it, like, that is what that is, is also to say that there is a fashion thing occurring, at least in this city, where regular, everyday, I guess, I guess Denna's and, like, other people in other parts of town are not wearing corsets. I don't think that's the implication. I think that the implication is the context is different, right? I think that upper-class women are wearing corsets, but their context of that is different. And I think that that double standard is worth noting in and of itself. Yes, aren't corsets undergarments? Yeah, but you can tell if someone's wearing it by the way that their posture is. Right, but I think these women are wearing their corsets on the outside to, to accentuate the boobies. What I get from women in corsets, like I, like my understanding is there are women in corsets in this area, is that like this is an old style of dress that people are no longer using in the more modern parts of the city, I guess. Well, Jordana, all reads are valid. Uh, so I think that is a legitimate read, but I agree with Jeremy on this one. I think that the intended mm-hmm. reading here is that these are scantily clad okay. ladies of the evening. And they're... I don't know that... Like I read it less as like there's a bunch of pimps hanging around with them and more that like these are the, the cutthroats and, and gutter snipes mm-hmm. that hang around in these areas. The sort of knives for hire. People with hard lives. Could be both. I have more pieces for my argument that this piece of the book is telling us that the fashion of this area is not all ladies wear corsets because we know that Denna is dressing the part of a, of a vintage lady right now. And we are not told that she is wearing a corset, but we do know that she is dressing in the style of those women because Quoth explicitly says that. And I feel like that's a detail that Quoth would have added in if she were wearing a corset because it would change her figure and probably also her posture. Yeah, I agree that the fashions are different. I think that Denna is starting to stand out here. And that is maybe what Quoth is, why Quoth is starting to get a little bit worried. When you think about what sex workers of a time and place particularly wear, it's usually a sexy kind of cheap version of whatever fancy people are wearing. So like fancy people wear a corset as part of like an ensemble of skirts and frills and laces. Sex workers wear a corset and some stockings. Well, fine. (laughs) I want to kind of unpack the description of the rough part of town that Rothfuss uses because it's the kind of thing that seems honest unless you have kind of lived in those places. And also, you know, this is a fantasy in in an invented city. um, And, you know, maybe things are rougher when everyone has a sword uh, and there's CR3 thugs lurking in every alleyway. But... I have lived in parts of town that are famously thought of as being quite dodgy. Uh, There's a neighborhood in Toronto called Jane and Finch, which has a very bad reputation. And I have lived very close to it and passed by it, passed through it quite often. You know, uh, obviously Toronto is not the roughest city in the world. I know that there are more dangerous places to be. uh, But my experience is such that you would be hard pressed to find a place that is, you know, as dangerous as a rabid dog certainly in, you know, in the kind of places that we live. That said, I've never been to like the favelas of Rio. So I don't know, you know, there's a reputation obviously there. I don't know, but like Jane and Finch has a reputation, right? Jane and Finch has a reputation of being like a place you will go and. But have you ever been to the corner of Sherburn and Queen Street at like 11 at night? I have. And yes, it's a place I want to move uh, away from as soon as possible, but it feels more like the, the broken glass analogy than the frothing dog analogy. Yeah, well, I don't think we've hit Frothing Dog in this city yet. (laughs) 
I think we're still at broken glass in where Quoth and Denna are. What I, okay, what I'm getting at is that in the real world, I would sort of say that there are very few places that are as dangerous as the frothing dog. Obviously, it's artifice, but my experience living in a city that has some famously rough parts of town is that they're not as bad as their reputation. Well, I think that that is purely a result of, of modern, modernity and progress. Because I guarantee you, and like, I don't even think that's necessarily true. I'm, I think that there are places in cities in North America that we could safely describe as rabid dog dangerous. Now, I don't think I've ever been there and I don't think I'm ever likely to because I am a relatively privileged white guy who doesn't feel like going to, you know, like Compton or whatever. But I think we would be, uh, it would be foolish to say that those places don't exist in the real world. And to the extent that we've been lucky enough not to go there is because we live in some of the wealthiest and most low crime, high safety parts of the world. I guess what I'm getting at is that the reputation of these places tends to be worse than the reality. I think to someone in Thornhill, if you said, oh, you know, we're having a we're passing through Jane and Finch, they'd be like, oh, my God, you're going to die when the reality is such that it's not nearly that bad. And I'm you know, you you name checked Compton. I'm sure Compton isn't a death sentence to someone who uh, was passing through. I think this is also an issue of of perspective, because like how we feel about a place um, like being dangerous or not dangerous will be completely different than someone who is used to another kind of place. So like what we consider to be broken glass, someone else may consider to be perfectly normal. What we consider to be frothing dogs, someone else might consider to be broken glass. And also it's a matter of like knowing how to behave in that environment, which is what Quoth is saying, right? He's saying, as long as you don't do something stupid, this won't be dangerous for you. I had a coworker from Venezuela and she was just saying how like, because she hasn't lived in Venezuela for a while, when she goes back there, her relations are very protective of her because she's become socialized to being able to live in like a wealthy North American city like Montreal, where you, where you can walk around with your purse dangling off your arm. But in where she grew up in Venezuela, that's not the case. That's a stupid thing to do. You're asking for trouble by doing that. Well, like there's even like safe places that might still feel like broken glass to just because they're like different too. Like for example, like I've been to New York City and like where I've been in New York City is the touristy part. It's the part where like theoretically most people would feel very safe, but I did not feel safe there at all. (laughs) Man, Jordana... Were you on the trip with us? I have not been to New York City with you, no. I went to New York City when I was 12 with my mom for a business trip because she couldn't leave me at home. And I went there like when I was in high school for like a special school trip because of stuff. I'm not from there, but I would hazard that people who are uh, native natives, who are locals to New York City, would argue that it's probably way less safe in the touristy areas. We got, a, we were pickpocket attempted in Times Square you know, in broad daylight. So like, I bet you that the places where tourists frequent are the places that people who expect to be able to like, you know, snatch a purse or uh, make a quick dollar by fleecing some rube uh, would hang out. But that's also not the same as getting like knifed for your pocket change. And New York is famously an example where it was a lot less safe in the 70s and 80s and then they made a big that's what movies no movies did that no, movies no, had new york as no, like a no no graffiti that's covered not, hellscape. no but that's that's not based out of nothing there was a big rise in urban crime in the 70s and 80s because the cities lost a lot of funding and because the cia were funneling drugs into them so it's not like there wasn't 
crime and seediness in New York in the 70s. That would be that would be an ahistorical thing to claim. The point is that they made a concentrated effort over the 90s and 2000s to gentrify the shit out of New York City, specifically Manhattan, and kick all the undesirable elements out of all the places where tourists are likely to go. And as a consequence for privileged white people from Canada, Manhattan and environs is probably one of the safest places in the United States you could go. Back to the book that we're reading. (laughs) I think we can establish that (laughs) Quoth, having lived in Tarbeen, sees things in this city a certain way based on that experience. And now we can put that aside. Um, Do we have any other notes on this page before we shut it down? Because this has gone on way too long. (laughs) No. Good. Then (laughs) we'll see you all tomorrow for another lively and discussionful page (laughs) of the crime wave. (laughs) Crisis alert. (laughs) Crisis alert.